This is an exciting Sunday for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, we are officially commissioning our elder Mike Kiowski uh, and his wife Terry, and uh, the kids are here too, I believe. Uh, where are you guys sitting? You sitting there in the back there? They're all here. We're commissioning Mike officially to go to Romania. This is his last Sunday here at Harvest Palace. So we're going to bring him up at the end of the sermon. We're going to pray for him and the whole family. Uh, and then they're going to be in the gym, so you have your chance to say uh, goodbye to them, how much you love them. He's going, uh, they're going to strengthen churches in Romania, and we are a fellowship of church plants. We've got over 140 churches, um, and Mike just feels called to go there. And Mike and Terry and Elizabeth will be strengthening the churches there. So we're going to bring him up at the end of the sermon. Um, in addition, we're starting a brand new series today. All in favor of something much less controversial? We've been talking about only controversial things for the last several months. So now the new series is called Root to Fruit. It is the path to spiritual maturity. When the Bible describes spiritual maturity, sometimes it helps us understand the process by comparing it to something. And in the book of Galatians, the uh, pathway to spiritual maturity is described as like a fruit tree, like you being a fruit tree uh, and over time you becoming more and more mature. Uh, it, this image of a fruit tree teaches us something. So check it out. Here's a picture of fruit on a tree. Um, and it didn't get there overnight. It started with a seed. It started with roots. It started with growth. And then eventually out came the fruit. Here's another picture of a fruit tree. Uh, that's you. That's you. This idea of a fruit tree tells us something about spiritual maturity. Uh, it teaches us that spiritual growth is slow, not fast. It's gradual, not instantaneous. It's a process. And we also learn that spiritual maturity begins in the invisible places of the heart. Just like the first growth happens underground where you can't see it, uh, leading to something visible, so God begins his work deep in the dark places of your heart. And everything you see on the outside, the change that eventually comes, is, a, is an aftershock of what he has done inside of you first. Um, what comes out results from what happens inside at the beginning. If I had to give you a definition of spiritual maturity, I think we're going to throw it up on the screen. The defini definition of spiritual maturity is uh, the lifelong process of God conforming us to be like his son. It is lifelong, meaning you ain't done yet. Just look at the person next to you. Just look him in the eye. And with all the Christian grace you can muster, I want you to say, you ain't done yet. You, you, ain't, you ain't done yet. It is a lifelong process and it is the process of God making us more like his son. Uh, here's a picture of a pear tree. This is how he makes us like his son. Over time, he grows fruit. Um, at our last house, Lauren and I had a tree in the backyard, and it was shaggy. So I made the mistake of trimming it. And then the next year, all these pears began to grow on it. We didn't even need, know that it was a pear tree. Uh, all these pear, And I found out later that pear trees are one of the hardest trees to get to grow right. So apparently, I have the touch. I don't know, maybe I'm like the tree whisperer or something. But this pear tree started growing so much fruit that the branches were bending. And we like that because that's free fruit, you know, easy on the grocery budget. Then the pears started falling on the ground. Uh, and our kids were much younger then. So all these pears started falling on the ground. We couldn't even pick them up fast enough. 
and, and then the pears started to like decompose and ferment, and then the bees came along. All the bees of every type of bee came along. And they're like, this is the yard you got to go to, Bee Nation. And they invaded our backyard, uh, and they started eating the pears. Uh, and they were, they were fermenting, so the bees got drunk. They started flying crazy, fighting with each other. It was like a bee bar brawl in our backyard. My son got stung on the mouth. So Lauren said, I got to go take care of the problem. So I got my snow shovel and I got a hoodie and I got glasses and gloves on and a can of Raid. And I went out there and I sprayed the bees and then I hit them with the shovel and then I moved the pears down into the, the hole in the, in the edge of the yard. Well, they would come at me from the front and I just hit them with the snow shovel. Ting! But a few of them snuck around back and crawled down my shirt and I got stung three times. But I, after I went back inside and received medical attention, <laughs> I went back out there and I cleared the yard of pears. Uh, there were so many of them. But here's the thing. I didn't fix the problem, right? Because the problem wasn't the bees. The problem wasn't the pears. The problem was the tree. And the tree has roots. And so now the whole tree is gone. It's, it's in hell. Trees go to hell. I know that. <laughs> yeah. It's down there because it's gone from the yard. <laughs> now, that's a fruitful tree, and God wants you to be a fruitful tree. God wants you to bear much fruit. It says in John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Well, here at the beginning of this series, let me pray so that God would enable us to bear much fruit together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the vine we are the branches. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We ask that you would show us the path to spiritual maturity. We're not done. You are not finished with us. We ask that you would give us tremendous encouragement to know where you're taking us, to submit, to follow you, to invite you to grow us. We ask that all would be able to see evidence that you are present and alive in us. And we ask this in your mighty name. Amen. You can open up in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verse 7. The book of Galatians, chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, the book of Galatians is an awesome, awesome book. Ask me how come. Because. It's an awesome book because it has done some unique things in Christian history. Did you know that on the uh, 500th anniversary of the Reformation, that Martin Luther called the book of Galatians uh, his Catherine. Do you know that? It was the name of his wife. He loved it so much, he named the book of Galatians like, it's my Catherine, it's my bride. I love it in the Bible. Uh, it has been called the Magna Carta of spiritual liberty. It's been called the Holy Spirit's charter of freedom for those in Christ. It was the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation. The book of Galatians is an awesome book. Uh, what we find in chapter 4 is uh, the beginning of spiritual maturity. Uh, it says in Galatians 4, chapter 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. 
Here's the first thing I need you to write down in your bulletin. Uh, I won't grow an inch spiritually until I'm born again. I won't grow an inch spiritually until I'm born again. Where does my spiritual maturity begin? Uh, When you are born to new life through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're not born again, you can't grow spiritually at all because you're not alive. This is a crisis of faith where you hear what God says of your initial starting spiritual condition. And you have a wake-up call and you face the reality that you need a savior. The Bible here says that you are a slave or a prisoner to sin. You're in bondage and you need someone to jailbreak you or you can't go anywhere in your walk with God. It's a hard thing to face, but whether you grew up in the church or you grew up outside of the church, your starting place was you did not have God in your life. Well, how could you say that, Pastor Ryan? I've been around Christians my whole life. I went to Awana. I memorized verses. Yeah, all those verses should have told you that you have a heart defect called sin. And because of that, God is not in your life. And if you were raised in the Christian home, please don't say, I've always been a Christian. You've always been around Christians. But the Bible should have told you, alerted you to your need, that you need Jesus to save you. Your parents can't do that for you. Your church can't do that for you. Uh, A Cubbies program in Awana can't do that for you. You have to arrive on your knees before a holy God who your sin has offended and invite him to save you or you're not growing spiritually. Doesn't matter how many badges you have. Doesn't matter how many times you've been in a church. Doesn't matter how many books of the Bible you've read. Doesn't matter what you've given to church. Religion doesn't make you spiritually alive. Jesus makes you spiritually alive. Do you have a story of a time when Jesus did something in your heart that you had nothing to do with? You asked him to do something that was permanent and supernatural and irreversible, and you had nothing to do with it. He did it all. Do you have proof that God is alive in your heart, or do you just have a lot of religious stuff that you have been a part of? It's not the same. Uh, What I'm telling you is called the gospel. You know the story. Christmas, Jesus was born. He came down from heaven. What makes him so special? Uh, Well, it says here, God sent forth his son. God sent his son. Well, aren't we all children of God? Nope. Jesus is the only eternal, sinless son of God. One of a kind. Therefore, he can do something that no one else can. He can represent man to God in heaven and represent God to man on earth. He's the perfect mediator. No one else can bring you to God. Jesus was born. There were no Christmas trees on the first Christmas. Go back to Christmas. I want you to understand this. There was no tinsel. There was no presents. There was no Santa. It was a baby. And that baby was enough to make it awesome because he came down from heaven. God's gift to humanity. Then he lived the perfect life. And how did humanity respond? We threw him on a cross. We butchered him. Why? Because humanity would prefer a universe with a dead God. So would you, if you're honest. You'd like to be your own boss. We killed him, but on the third day, he rose up from the grave. And he's alive right now. Jesus is alive right now, seated in power at the right hand of God Almighty. He is risen, and at the cross, he purchased the freedom for your sins. If you understand that, you will fall on your face and worship Christ because he alone can save you. Do you agree with God of your starting spiritual condition? Um, It says in chapter 4 here, again, verse 6, because you are, uh, or in verse 7, he says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. 
Do you know what it means to be a slave? It says in verse 5, Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law. The word redeem means to set you free from bondage. Your starting spiritual condition is you're helpless to free yourself. Uh, Here's a picture of where God found you. God found you imprisoned. You had no hope of escaping. You were shackled. That's where he showed up. Here's the next picture. You lived in this spiritual location. A lot of people I talk to who aren't going to heaven will say this, well, I'm a pretty good person. You know what that that is? That's the equivalent of saying I've mopped my cell floor and it shines. Bravo. Being a good person isn't good enough. You need to be a saved person to get into heaven. You can't just clean up your cell and, oh, it looks better than anybody else's cell. looks better than my neighbor's cell. It's still a jail. And you still need to be saved. Here's the next picture. This is you. If you agree with God that you need him to break you free from the power of sin, only then will you be born again. If you keep trying to clean up your act or turn over a new leaf or behave every now and then. See, here's the thing. Most people live on the periodic sin reduction plan. Okay, so, so I'm good because every now and then I sin less. Like, like if sin is grass, I like mow the lawn every now and then so that it doesn't get too shaggy. And I, you know, my grass looks better than other people's grass. Periodic sin reduction plan. And they think they're good because they sin less than someone else or because sometimes they sin less than they used to. The periodic sin reduction plan uh, will take you to hell because God's not interested in you trying to be less sinful. He will only accept you if you are saved. You're not good in God's sight until Jesus breaks you free from the prison you live in. This is so important for you to understand. If you think that God ever looks down because you show up at church or put something in the offering or or try to be nicer and he's somehow impressed with that, you don't understand God. Your, Your best day before Jesus is filthy rags in his sight. He will never be impressed with your best effort ever because it's still you. Still you and not Christ. You have to give up and you have to ask Jesus to save you. Then a wonderful thing happens. It says you are no longer a slave but a son. A son. He breaks you out of the prison where you were a slave and then he adopts you into his family. You were a slave, you're now a son. Only God can adopt you into his family. Are you saved? Are you a saved child of God? Has God broken you out of the prison of sin? Has he welcomed you into his family through adoption? When has that happened? Could you tell me when that happened in your life? It could happen when you're eight. It can happen when you're 88, but it has to happen. And if there's no salvation story, there's no salvation. If that's foggy at all in your heart, if you can't quite come up with that, why not settle that today? Why would you live another day uncertain where you stand with a holy God? Why would you live another day wondering if what God says is true? If you have a story, then you know that your starting point of spiritual growth is at some point you were born again. You, at one point in your life, became a teeny-weeny widow baby Christian. You were born again. Even if you were 60 when it happened, you were just this widow itty bitty Christian who didn't know very much about the Bible yet. And your story reflects that. Check it out. Here's a picture of a baby animal. This is a baby muskox. It's so cute and little. Here's another picture. This is a baby giraffe. 
Oh, it's just, it's standing up for the first time ever. Here's another picture. This is a baby hedgehog. Oh, it's so sweet. My favorite, I'm alive. Did you little baby turtle? Hey, when did that happen to you, spiritually? When? Could you tell me when that happened to you? When you just were born again. You were just a little baby Christian. See, if you don't have a story of when you were born again, maybe you weren't. You won't grow an inch spiritually until you understand what it means to ask Jesus to be your Savior, to break you free from the prison of sin. And He will do it. Stop mopping your jail cell. Ask Jesus to break you free today. Then you can start growing. So that's the first point. I won't grow spiritually until I'm born again. Number two, uh, walk by the Spirit away from sinful bondage. After you get saved, then God is present in your heart permanently. Because He is present in your heart, then you have the power, finally, to walk away from sin. Walk by the Spirit away from from sinful bondage. Check out chapter 5, verse 16. It says in chapter 5, verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. There's some theology in here we have to unpack. First, it says, walk by the Spirit. You can only do that if you're saved, because we just read in chapter 4, uh, that in, in verse 6, because your sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Um, when you trust Jesus as Savior, God's Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. You become, according to the New Testament, a temple of God, God living in you. The Bible says that this is the Spirit of Christ, so it's the same as if Jesus himself is in there with you, because it's the Spirit of Christ, which is why it can say uh, that I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What hope do I have that I can be any different than what I've always been? Jesus lives in you. The Holy Spirit comes inside of you and helps you. You have to resign from being the chairman of the board of your life. Too often, Christians try and maintain this shareholder relationship with God. Okay, you get a vote, uh, and, and I get a vote. And if I like what you say, I'll go with what you say, but sometimes I'm going to do what I want to do, and maybe I'll listen to my friends. And Jesus is kind of a shareholder at the table. Uh, that's not the way it works. When the Spirit comes into your life, He's the boss. And by the way, he will take far greater care of your life than you ever could. He is a much better boss of your life than you ever were. You can trust him and let go of the control, the supervision of your heart to him. This is what it means to walk by the Spirit. You are letting God personally guide you and strengthen you and grow you because he's in you. There is a fight, though. Because it says here, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, what is that? The desires of the flesh describes your appetite for sin. And even after you get saved, sin is still appetizing. Oh, you want to hear the gossip. You want to hear the gossip. You want to know how other people are struggling. It's tasty. 
Oh, you want to look at the other girls? Yes, you do. You want to know what they look like because it's so good to see that. There's a part of you that wants to lust. You want more money as much as you can have and more. You want it. You think you need it. Greed is in your heart. The desires of the flesh are in you, even after you're saved, which is why we're tempted. You want revenge. You want that person to pay. You want to see them suffer. You might not say it, but you want it because the flesh is in you. Um, The power of sin has been broken, meaning that appetite, that desire can no longer enslave you. Before you're a Christian, you don't control it, it controls you. Once you get saved, there's actually the opportunity for you to invite the Spirit to rise up and overthrow the sin in your heart. But it's a daily battle. See, now we're talking about the process of faith. This could be the most important part of the sermon for some of you because you've been taught this backwards in your life. What comes first is the crisis of faith. Do I believe Jesus is Savior? Do I fall on my knees and ask Him to be my King? If that's done, you're going to heaven and nothing can ever change that. Some of you think this life is a process and I'm going to become more faithful and more religious and try harder. And then if I've done my best, maybe in the end, at the crisis, Jesus will let me into heaven. That's backwards. The crisis is right here, right now. The Bible says, today if you hear his heart, do not, today if you hear his voice, it says, do not harden your hearts. You can know you're going to heaven right now. That's the crisis. Only when you trust Jesus as Savior does the process of faith begin. Then you go one day at a time with God. Then he grows you little by little. Not because he's watching you daily and be like, oh, well, after that day, you're going to heaven. Oh, now you had a good day. You're going, you know, he's not doing that. The crisis is over. The process never ends. Maturity is God making you more like his son every day. And that process comes after the crisis. This conflict, though, exists in the heart of every believer. It's a battle. The passions of this life, the Bible says, they wage war against your soul. There is war inside of you daily. Check it out. Here's a picture of war. That's you. You versus the worldly desires inside of you. Here's another picture. This is what's going on in you. Things are getting blown up. Uh, Here's another picture. Uh, You know, it is demolition. It's not... It's not automatic. You might not like that. Why doesn't God just take all my sins away? How come it's such a fight? How come I don't change faster? Because he gets more glory walking you down the road. He gets more glory teaching you gradually how to follow him. He gets more glory when he unearths fortresses of sin that you have hidden in for years and they fall over. He gets more glory in that. Yeah, sure, it'd be nice if abracadabra, you become sinless. I'm sure the world would love if that happened. Church is filled with absolutely perfect people. Yeah, they'd really love being around us. He gets more glory when people watch you change. That's why it happens gradually. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. Getting saved happens one moment, and it changes every moment after that. Walking by the Spirit happens a thousand moments a day. And you could be doing well, you could be doing poorly. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. When you are saved and you become a temple of God. Here's a picture of the temple from the Old Testament. God lives in you. 
This is supposed to show us, if you know your Old Testament, that God can manifest his presence in a unique way. Sure, God's everywhere, but he's not everywhere the same way. God said that he dwelled in the temple in Israel. And not just in the temple, but in the inner uh, room of that big building right there. It was called the Holy of Holies. Coming to the temple represented coming near to God. But only one man, the high priest, was allowed in that inner room, and only once a year, to show us that we were not yet welcome in God's presence. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain that blocked that room off from everyone was torn in half, which is God's way of saying, you're not welcome in my presence. But God doesn't just welcome us to his presence. He invites himself into our hearts. You have become that temple. You are now the place where God dwells. That's where you find hope. You feel like, man, I I wish I could be more victorious over sin. Hey, the Spirit is in you. You can find lasting victory because the Spirit is in you. In Galatians 5.1, it says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's amazing what it says here. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. There's this war, but if you're led by the Spirit, you will be freed from the law. If you really want to change on the outside, you have to understand that change doesn't start on the outside, okay? If you're like, you know what, I'm just going to change my vocabulary and stop using certain words, eh, that's not real change. I'm just going to get less angry and I'm going to talk nicer to people. Eh, it's not going to last. I'm going to put the bottle down and stop running to it, you know, or the, the, I'm not going to need the pills as much as I do now. That's not going to work. Change starts at the roots, If all you're doing is fruit management, it's like swatting those bees away from the pears. It's not going to last. Check it out. Here's a chart we use in our spiritual discipleship training uh, called Fruit Trunk Root. The fruit in your life is the behavior. It's what comes out. Your words, uh, it's your actions. And yeah, that needs to change, but your actions represent your thoughts and your emotions. We would call that the trunk. The trunk represents what you're thinking, how you're feeling. Why did you blow up at your kids again? Well, I feel like they're just not listening to me. And, you know, I I think they need to respect me. Well, those thoughts and those feelings made you explode. How come you're overspending so much and you're tens of thousands of dollars in debt? You know, I I don't know. We need to fix the house up if we're going to try and sell it. And we're really afraid. So you're afraid and you're thinking you need to do something irresponsible. See, so your feelings and your thoughts are leading to your behavior on the outside. Uh, psychology in our world will try and help you with your thoughts and your feelings, but it's only when you get down to the root, to your core desires, and to the convictions you believe about God, that change will last. Then change will last. Why are you blowing up at your children? Because they're not listening to me. Don't you believe God will prove faithful to them? Don't you believe God has the power to change their hearts over time? Yes. Why are you sinning then and trying to make it happen now when you could be trusting God and inviting him to make it happen? Do you see how at the bedrock, at the core, there's an absence of faith there that's springing up and creating the sin? Why do you keep buying more and more and more? I don't know. Aren't you content that God will meet all of your needs? Yes. Why aren't you acting like that? Don't you trust him? Don't you trust him? Yes. Act like it. You see, you got to get to the root if you're going to change the fruit. There are four primary lies that we believe about God, and we'll come back to these throughout this series. First major lie is God is not strong. 
Hey, if you struggle with anger and authority, if you have a problem with people who are getting away with things, you could be believing a lie about God, that he's not strong, or at least not as strong as you need him to be. You could then be springing into sinful action to try and help God. Maybe because you're believing the lie that God is not strong. The next lie is God is not fun. He's not fun. If you struggle with foolishness, pleasure is the problem that keeps tripping you up. You're looking for the next high. Uh, Maybe you're believing the lie that God is not fun. And therefore, you've concluded that if you want to have more fun, you have to go against God's plan because he's getting in the way. You know, marry a Christian, Bible-believing, church-attending girl, please. I want to have fun in life. Yeah, you're believing the lie that uh, following God's plan will lead you to a little bit of uh, pleasure and a lot of pain. God just wants me to be unhappy. He's a big straitjacket in the sky. If I follow him, I'm going to have a lot less fun and and I'm going to have a lot more pain. The opposite is true. The moment you walk off of God's safe trail, you are walking towards a world of pain and temporary pleasure. You're believing a lie. That's why you are running into foolishness time and time again. It's a lie about God at the root that is leading to your foolish behavior. And you'll learn the hard way that God's way is best. So God is not strong. God is not fun. The third is God is not good. He's not good. If you struggle with despair, if you struggle with depression, it doesn't automatically mean you have a spiritual problem. But if you Tell yourself that the future only holds bad endings to your story, that God will not keep his promise to write a good ending to this story. Uh, You're struggling with a lie at the root of your being. You're believing the lie that God is not good, and he will not write a good story in your family, with your kids, for your marriage, for your health. That lie that you nurse will consume you and lead you to sin in numerous ways. Um, And when depression and despair cripple you, uh, it's because the lie that God is not good has taken hold. And you can't change the fruit until you get down to the root of it all, which is faith in God's goodness. Uh, God is not strong. He's not fun. He's not good. The last one is God is not competent. He's not competent. If you are a control freak, if you are a helicopter parent, if you are a micromanager, If you constantly reach over into the lives of people and help them steer because they really need you, really need you to get through the day, uh, you probably struggle with the lie that God is not competent to manage all of the many details in your world. Uh, It's a lie. God never wrote down a tip from how you manage your life. He really doesn't learn anything from you. You have never made him a better God. He is so far more able of being a competent steward of the universe than you could ever imagine. The thought that he needs you um, to keep the world going is a lie that leads to sin after sin after sin. Why can't you get to sleep at night? Why do you have the ulcers? What are you waking up in the middle of the night for? Because there's a lie in your heart telling you that God really needs you to help. And so do your kids, and so does your husband. If you're not the one doing it, it's not going to get done. And boy, that will tear you up. Tear you up. It will break your relationships to pieces too. Do you see how if you get down to the bottom of it all, it will change billions of things? 
The patterns of sin will be what we're talking about. I won't grow an inch spiritually until I'm born again. If I walk by the Spirit away from sinful bondage, He'll change me. Number three, we must walk by the Spirit towards righteous attitudes and relationships. Um, If you're just on the... I'm going to sin less plan. Like, you know what? Now that I'm a Christian, I'm just going to not gamble. I'm just going to not drink. I'm just going to, and you're all about what you're not going to do. You're still acting like somebody who's under the law, being watched by the authority. You know, and I'm just not going to do anything wrong. That's not what it's about. God wants to fill your life with the fruit of righteousness. He wants to change your attitudes and your relationships. In chapter 5, verse 22, it says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is, so these things grow and increase over time. Love. Man, all in favor of more loving relationships in the church and the home and the world. Joy. Boy, who couldn't use twice as much of that every Monday morning? Peace. Who wouldn't like that in a bottle before you go to bed? Peace. Patience. Just when you think you got that one down. That one person tests your patience again. That one child just doesn't live. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says against such things there's no law. See, when you're focusing on what God wants to make of you, the man of God he wants you to be, the woman of God he wants you to be, the desires of the flesh go away naturally. There's no law against these things. How how loving you're supposed to be or how kind, because those things continue to build up and grow your heart. They are relational and they're focused on your attitude. See, it doesn't give you a checklist like uh, shake three people's hands every Sunday morning because the checklist actually reduces how righteous you have to be. But if the challenge is that you have to be loving, you never quite arrive and you're never quite done. See, so we're becoming these things increasingly every year. And boy, we have a long way to go. I don't know how you feel about your own spiritual maturity, but I still have a long way to go. The vast majority of my spiritual growth is still to come. Does anybody else feel that way? But maybe I'm the only one. Don't leave me up here now. Long way. All right, so get this. I started coaching my uh, son's basketball team this year, the 9- and 10-year-old basketball team. I've never played in a basketball league in my life. I played driveway ball. That's as far as I got. Driveway ball. Uh, And and now the rec center was so desperate that they begged me to coach. So I said, fine. And then I Googled it and came up with a few printouts. So we practiced, and then last Saturday we had our first game, and we lost by two points. So I went back. We had two practices this week. And I'm teaching them the basics, like where to stay. stand here, hold your hands up on defense, give a nice pass, don't shoot behind the three-point line. I mean, it's like cats, like herding cats to get them to stand where they're supposed to stand. They just want to just run and shoot, right? So, this, so yesterday we had our second game, uh, and we were down by four points at one point, uh, and then somebody shot and brought us within two, and then my son, Jared, with a few minutes left, hit a three to bring us up by one. And then, and then we got a security basket, so then we're up, uh, we're up by three. And there's 30 seconds left, and the other team's storming up the field. And I'm standing there talking to the boys, and I'm like, stop them! Stop them right now! Hands up! You know, and the clock was winding down, and then finally the buzzer went off, and we won our first game. It was amazing! The other team was crying. Our kids were celebrating. It was perfect! 
and it brought my lifetime coaching record to uh, 500, which is not bad. <laughs> but listen, I have a long way to go as a coach. My team, they have a long way to go. We had a kid shoot in the wrong basket, right? That's, you know, <laughs> that's your hoop. Uh, we got a long way to go. And spiritually, honestly, we've got a long way to go. Uh, but we can't get discouraged if we feel stuck. And um, I want you to know this is a church where you don't have to be fake. Please, the world, that's the last thing the world needs is more Christian hypocrites who pretend to be one thing that they're not, right? Uh, this is a church where it's okay to not be okay. It's a church to admit I have uh, room to grow. If you're honest with someone about your true spiritual condition, then you start moving forward. There are true and false ways to mature. And at Harvest, we challenge people to grow in three fundamental areas. So now I'm like the coach telling you the three basics, right? Worship, walk, work. Worship Christ, meaning get to church every Sunday. Sing and express yourself and bring an offering. That's what it means to worship Christ. Uh, if that one is not nailed down, you're going to have a hard time growing. Walk with Christ means you get, you get your Bible open each week and you're moving forward in your faith. You're reading the Bible, you're praying and you're not doing it alone. Uh, you get involved in group life at your church because you want community around you. You know you need that. That's what it means to walk with Christ. If that one's not online, it's hard to move forward. And then work for Christ. You get on a ministry team and you actually serve other people. It's healthy for your heart to not just be served, but to serve other people. If you worship, if you walk, and you work, most of the people who are doing those three things here at Harvest are growing. They're bearing fruit. And most of the people who aren't doing those three things are not growing as quickly as they could. You also have to watch out for false paths to spiritual maturity. Here's the first one you can write down. Bible knowledge without application. I'm learning more and more about the Bible every year. I'm doing Bible studies. I'm going to conferences. I'm memorizing the Bible. And I'm just, I'm like a walking water tower filling my head with knowledge of the Bible. All right, good start. But sometimes people are not applying what they're learning. And you know you've run into this person when you touch something in their life that needs to be changed and they freak out. Who are you to talk to me about that? I know more of the Bible than you. You're not allowed. See, because they want to be admired for their Bible knowledge and they want people to look up to them and hear their voice. But, uh, you know, they're pretty much done with their spiritual growth. They're like at that 98% download complete mark. And, uh, and so they're like some of the most spiritually mature people you know. Uh, and very sad to see this person um, who thinks they're growing more mature and they're growing more immature by the day because they're getting Bible knowledge and they're not applying it. This path can lead people to obsessing over polarizing doctrine. Because uh, normal doctrine's not enough. So they got to find a special area and they have to become the specialist on it. Anyone who disagrees with them is a heretic. That's where that path leads. It could also lead people to rethink orthodoxy altogether. Oh, after all of my study, you know what? God is just much bigger than I originally understood him to be. And yeah, you, you still have God in your little box, but God is so big now. They're leaving behind the faith, but they think that it's a path to maturity and it's not. If you are proud of your knowledge and if your ear is to the key, if your ears are getting smaller every year, the number of people who can speak into your life are getting fewer and fewer, you're not on a path to maturity. You're on a path toward immaturity. Bible knowledge without application. Next, church activity without heart change. 
These people, they'll work. They'll serve on every ministry team. They'll do all this stuff. They'll work, they'll work, they'll work. But their heart shows that there is a huge chasm that they're trying to fill with their work. They're trying to please God and man with their work. So after they work and work and work and work and work and then it's not appreciated, they burn out and they bail out. Because they've been trying to fill a spiritual need with their work. And when man doesn't give them the praise they want or the thanks they want, off they go. That's a bad place to be because you're working, but you're not doing it with a worshipful heart. You're not doing it all for Christ who gave all for you. You're not doing it with the understanding that even if Jesus alone is the one who gives you the encouragement at the end, that that's enough because he's your savior who died for you. Um, Church activity and busyness without heart change. This is the person who's on many ministry teams, but there is no personal spiritual disciplines. There is no Bible reading. There is no accountability. And their private life is falling apart. But they're doing so much for their church. They're not walking with Christ. They're just working. This person has not done what the Bible said. This person has not crucified the flesh. It says here in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They need to get rid of that sin. It says in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, there's salvation. Let us also walk by the Spirit, there is the spiritual growth. Third false path to maturity, individual effort without community. Meaning, yeah, me and Jesus, we're great. Uh, But church attendance? Small group attendance? Individual effort without community displays self-reliance and self-indulgence. Hey, listen, you can mark this down. 100% of the time, less community equals less maturity. High school students, listen up. Less community equals less maturity. Uh, Parents with young children, listen. Less community equals less maturity. You can always reason your way out of getting plugged into small groups or getting into group life here. The bottom line is, The more you isolate yourself, the more immature you will become spiritually. Here's another one. Less accountability, less maturity. 100% of the time. If you are less accountable and there are fewer people asking you the hard questions, you will not grow stronger. You will grow weaker. Mark it down. It's true. 100% of the time. Less community, less accountability equals less maturity. So we have to push into community. If you're just doing individual effort, it's not going to go well. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Did you hear recently about the ash boring beetle? We've got a picture of the ash boring beetle here, causing millions of dollars of damage all across the country. And and those are the parents. The babies are even smaller than that. Uh, Check it out. Here's what they do. The babies get inside the tree and start chewing and chewing and chewing and eating up inside the tree. What does that do? It makes it so that the roots can no longer water the tree. The roots can no longer water the tree. The tree dies of thirst because of these bugs. Uh, And it's costing so much damage. Listen, in your life, God wants to be flowing his power into your heart. He wants to be flowing his strength. The way that happens is when you and him are connected in a great relationship each week and when you are connected to the body of Christ. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. It's not only our connection to Christ, it's our connection to one another that keeps us growing. And anything that severs that connection will cause us to die of thirst and to make us stop growing. This is the intro of this series, and I hope you feel like this can be your greatest year of spiritual growth yet. 
God's will for you in Christ Jesus is that you would bear abundant fruit. And whether you feel like you're rocking it or whether you feel like you are flat on your back, failing, God has much to say to us throughout this series. And I'm excited for him to grow me and to grow our church together.